Due to the graphic nature of this haunted place, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes depictions of car collisions, gore, insects, and references to being buried alive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. There was something about it that Connor didn't like. Perhaps the way the wind moved in the trees, the way the overgrown stone steps seemed to cling to the dirt around them for dear life, as he and the other workers did their best to tear them up. The surveyor had assured them that there were no graves beneath the planned byway through Carpenter Cemetery. But the longer Connor stood there in his neon orange vest, the more whisper-like the wind seemed to become. But he needed this job, so he hopped back into the cabin of the backhoe and resumed his work. The subtle whispers became a child's cry. Connor immediately stopped the machine and went to investigate. It seemed to be coming from below ground. Someone couldn't have buried a baby alive, could they? He pressed his ear to the ground and, sure enough, the sound was coming from beneath the soil. He reached for a shovel before realizing it was safer to dig with his hands. Dirt clung to his fingernails as he pawed at the earth. The child's cry grew louder. His co-workers gathered around him, asking what he was doing. Connor told them about the noise, but they didn't move to help him. He finally struck wood, pulling the tiny little box from the ground. He ripped the lid off with strength he didn't know he possessed, desperately hoping he'd made it in time. But the child was dead. More than dead. It hadn't been alive for at least 50 years. Its skin was papery, its clothes tattered. Its tiny jaw hung open in a silent, eternal scream. Welcome to Haunted Places, a ParCast original. I'm Greg Polson. Every Thursday, I take you to the scariest, eeriest, most haunted, real places on Earth. You can find all episodes of Haunted Places for free on Spotify. And every Tuesday, make sure to check out Urban Legends. These special episodes of Haunted Places are available exclusively on Spotify. This week, join me on a supernatural journey to the 100 Steps Cemetery, a Civil War-era burial ground in western Indiana, and discover why, to this day, it's haunted. We'll start walking up the 100 Steps in just a moment. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Carpenter Cemetery is the kind of place that locals describe based on where it isn't. Near the small town of Brazil, Indiana, but not actually in it. Somewhere between Terre Haute and Stanton, but sitting in that liminal space between one town and another. The legends surrounding the place are similarly eclectic. A seven-foot-tall witch supposedly lives beside the cemetery, and her dead baby can be heard crying from below the ground. 
The devil himself is rumored to have been buried there, in a grave bound by a wrought iron fence. And there's apparently a hole to hell at the bottom of the hill. But the legend most locals are closest to agreeing on is the story that gives the graveyard its more popular name, 100 Steps Cemetery. The grassy space is a steep hill surrounded by verdant woods with a large empty field below. Many of the graves date back to the 1860s, but some burial plots hold locals who died in the early 20th century. Really, it looks like any other Civil War era cemetery. Quiet, a little overgrown, but relatively well kept up. Its unique feature is the staircase. A long set of old stone steps are built into the hillside. Legend has it that if you count the steps up and down in the pitch black of midnight, the count won't match and it may doom you to die. Why and how this legend came about, we don't quite know. But the details of the superstition have dark implications for those who seek to disturb the dead. Andrew always told himself that the dead didn't mind. They were dead, and they still got to make one last contribution to society. Odds were, many of them could have benefited from better doctors in life. Andrew was helping humanity and making a tidy profit. It was really the best of both worlds. His partner, Madison, wasn't nearly so magnanimous, but he had a strong back and rarely complained of the blisters their work tended to cause. They entered Carpenter Cemetery just after midnight. They couldn't see their hands in front of their faces without the soft light of the oil lantern, but luckily, Andrew had scouted ahead. A young lady had been buried the day before at the top of the hill. Her father was rich, so she would likely be a good specimen for the medical students. Much healthier than the drunks and criminals he sometimes bribed away from the morgue. They climbed the 100 stone steps one by one, making no sound aside from Madison's strangely merry whistle. Andrew had been annoyed by this habit early in their partnership, but now he simply planned for it. If you picked the right hour and graveyard, no one minded the music. They reached Miss Emma West's gravesite and began to dig. Both men were professionals now, so they made short work of the wet soil between them and their prize. Andrew hopped in the grave and pulled up the nails in the pine box, lifting it open with a squeak. Andrew smiled. He commented that Miss Emma didn't look a day past dead. Madison interrupted his whistling for a second to offer up his usual appreciative grunt at Andrew's wit. Madison had just resumed his whistling when a strange sound overtook Andrew's continued patter. It was a rocking chair, like the one Andrew's grandmother had when he was small. Andrew looked at Madison, asking with his eyes if he had heard it too. But that look offered even more disturbing information it wasn't his partner who was whistling. A strange figure emerged from the night. He was tall, dressed in gray from head to foot, and swayed back and forth in an old rocking chair that made an audible creak despite floating several inches above the grassy ground. Andrew couldn't believe his eyes. He told himself it was a trick of the light or a sign of a tired mind. But then... The old man looked at him. His eyes were so icy, 
so haunting that Andrew feared he would freeze on the spot and shatter into a million pieces. Even as the strange man's gaze was fixed on Andrew, he rocked back and forth, whistling. Like he had all the time in the world, and Andrew had none. Andrew looked from the girl to the top of the grave. He promised his contact at the medical school that he'd have a body for the morning. There was stiff competition, and to break a promise once was to break your word forever. He made a split-second decision, reaching into the grave and tugging at the dead woman. She caught on something at the bottom of the box, and the entire thing nearly flipped over as he lifted her free. He threw the corpse onto the lip of the grave and pulled himself out, then hoisted her up on his shoulder. The man kept rocking and kept looking. Madison stood still as a statue off to Andrew's right. Andrew hissed at his partner that they needed to get a move on. Madison gave a grumble of agreement, glancing at the strange figure every now and then as he collected the shovels and lantern. Still, the man rocked and whistled, staring after them. Andrew headed back toward the stone steps, cursing himself for not grabbing the lantern from Madison. Now he was feeling for the edge of the stones in the dark, his boots carefully poking forward before the rest of his weight. It made carrying a dead girl more than a little tricky. Madison trundled along behind him, thankfully not rushing him. Andrew murmured to him that the old man clearly wasn't real. This time, Madison didn't groan in agreement. Andrew looked back at the old man, who still rocked, his eyes following them down the steep hill. The old man smiled. The rocking ceased. The whistle ended. A stone step broke under Andrew's boot. He tumbled down the steps, landing limply on the path below with a horrible crack. He lay there, unmoving. Madison reached the bottom safely behind him. He lowered his gaze, examining his partner of many years. He did not need to check for a pulse. He looked up to the top of the hill. The strange vision of the man in the rocking chair was gone. Madison paused for a moment in the eerie quiet. He removed the body from Andrew's hands, hoisting it up and over his shoulder like a sack of flour. He walked off into the night, a whistle on his lips. On November 18, 1892, a wealthy farmer named George West exhumed his daughter Emma with plans to move her to a more picturesque part of the cemetery. The young woman had been buried for about two years, having died of a sudden and unidentified malady. When West and his workers reached the site, they discovered that the heavy casket was upside down in the grave. Emma's corpse was missing. Emma may have been taken by so-called resurrectionists, grave robbers who stole bodies in order to sell them to neighboring medical schools. But the turned-over coffin doesn't make much sense. What would cause the resurrection men to rush their reburial process? A potential answer is offered in another legend of 100 Steps Cemetery. It is said that the first groundskeeper of the graveyard was an alcoholic and was eventually fired for his neglect. Angry, he returned the next night to vandalize the gravestones. He passed away years later, thinking he'd gotten away with it. 
The rumor goes that now he's been forced to haunt the cemetery for all eternity, appearing in his rocking chair to scare vandals who mean to harm the graves as he did. Up next, the legend of the 100 steps takes an ominous and prophetic tone. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now back to the story. Nearly all the legends surrounding 100 Step Cemetery involve counting in some way. In order to initiate a prophetic vision of your future death, you must climb the steps in the dark, counting each step as you go. When you reach the top, the cemetery groundskeeper will appear down at the bottom of the hill, and he will give you a prophetic vision. If the number of steps as you climb down is the same as you went up, the vision won't come true. But if the number doesn't match, you're in major trouble. For the vision is meant to come true that very night. Liv, Tess, Chase, and Grant never did anything without each other. They called themselves the Formidable Four, and when they were together, they felt unstoppable. But now, they had graduated high school and were facing futures in four different corners of the country. Tess wasn't feeling very formidable. She didn't want to climb the 100 steps, but Chase promised that this ritual would cement their bond forever. It was a way of saying goodbye to Stanton and their childhood. They would face death and come out on the other side feeling older and a bit more prepared for life. Tess disagreed. Her older sister, Juliet, had made the climb and experienced a haunting vision at the end of it. She saw herself drowning and as a result, had refused to swim ever since. Chase and the others didn't understand. They didn't have older siblings. They didn't know what it was like to watch someone you idolized fall apart. How fear could destroy someone from the inside out. Ever since the incident, as Tess's family liked to call it, Tess had nightmares of falling through the bottom step in the cemetery. She would plunge straight into hell screaming for help as the heat melted her flesh away. She didn't want to go, but she was the only holdout. Peer pressure and fear of abandonment got to her. She agreed to come. They climbed up the jagged, grassy steps using their phone flashlights to guide the way. Liv, always the leader, counted out loud for all of them. Tess brought up the rear. She was glad that she didn't have to count, because she was afraid that her voice would crack. They climbed and climbed. Liv didn't hit the number 100 before she made it to the top. She only managed to get to 61. Since the rest of them hadn't been counting, they didn't know what went wrong. Liv joked that it must be that bit of the story about darkness. Supposedly, it needed to be pitch black in order for the groundskeeper to appear. Tess tried to hide her relief. But as she reached the top, she felt fingers press against her back. She turned. The steps beneath her were empty. So was the green space below. 
She huddled closer to Chase and Grant, while Liv wandered off to the gravestones at the top of the hill. Neither Chase nor Grant knew what to make of the situation. It was such an anticlimax. Hundreds of years of stories to glean information from, and somehow they'd gotten something wrong. Tess wiped sweat from her brow. She didn't share her thoughts with the group, but she was overjoyed. This had to be safer. There were no risks of scary hallucinations this way. No worrying about some ominous warning of death. Liv called out for the rest of the group to take a look at what she'd found. Chase and Grant followed after, but Tessa's legs didn't want to move yet. She stood in the same spot, looking down at the road. She didn't want to see the graveyard. She wanted to go home. The outline of a person emerged near the steps. Tess and her friends apparently weren't the only ones that had the idea to come up here as a last hurrah. Tess tried to wave the person away. She yelled that there weren't a hundred steps anymore. They should save themselves the trouble. The shadow continued walking, their shoulders stock stiff. It gave them an almost inhuman quality as they moved down the road. Tess aimed her phone's flashlight on the steps, hoping to get a better look at the person. Their school wasn't that big she might know who was approaching. Liv yelled for Tess to come over. Tess called back that she was checking on someone coming up. The stairs weren't easy to see anymore. She didn't want anyone getting hurt. The person wasn't walking fast enough, and Tess was starting to fidget as she waited for them to get closer. She moved the light across the road below, searching for any identifying features. She saw a snatch of brown hair and a distinctive striped sweater. The person at the bottom of the stairs was her sister, Juliet. She was going to attempt to climb again. No, this place had traumatized Juliet enough. She didn't need to prove anything. She was brave just for continuing on after what she'd seen. Tess lifted her foot away from the top stone step and moved it to where the land was wilder. Tall green grass scratched at her legs, but she preferred the safety of the hill to the perilous, partially hidden steps. Tess called out to her sister as she ran down the hill waving her arms. She felt a presence advancing from behind her. If Granter Chase had decided to grab her as a scare tactic, she was going to murder them. But no arms wrapped around her waist. Instead, they shoved at her back, palms searing with a strange heat. She barely saw the ground before she hit it, face first. The earth slammed her cheek, small stones biting into her chin like teeth. Her back burned. She could still feel the impression of someone's hands against her as she rose shakily to her feet. But when she looked behind her, there was no one there. Tess reached down slowly gingerly wiping away small rocks and bits of glass that clung to her skin. Her sister had reached the steps. Tess yelled one more time, begging Juliet to be kind to herself. She rushed forward, tumbling onto the dark road. At least it should have been dark. Floodlights filled Tess's vision as her feet touched the asphalt. She reached out to take her sister's hand, but couldn't see her anymore. The lights were too bright, too close. Hard plastic hit her body at 35 miles an hour. The impact ripped through Tessa's abdomen, sending her flying toward the trees. She landed with a world-shattering 
crunch on the rocky road. She saw white at first, then stars. That same darkness that had so terrified her a moment ago had given her such a beautiful view of twinkling sky. But if she could see the stars, where was the car? The pain she should have felt earlier kicked in, banging every nerve with a ball-peen hammer. Tess tried to lift her head. It was too heavy. Something else was keeping it rooted to the spot. Tears ran from her eyes to her ears as she lay there, waiting for someone to find her. Liv placed her hand on Tess's arm. She blinked. Tess was still standing at the top of the steps. Her eyes followed the path she'd seen, heading to the tunnel, then the road. But there was no sign of her sister or her own crumpled body. She was fine. A gasp came from behind her. Tess turned. Grant was pointing to her upper back. Tess asked him what was wrong. His finger quivered as he pointed. Chase joined him, staring. Tess told herself they were just teasing her, but then Liv looked too. Liv brushed Tess's arm gently, asking if it hurt. Tess explained that she'd fallen on the way down the hill, if she'd gone down the hill. But she hadn't. Had she? Liv took a picture for her. The click of the flash echoed in the eerie silence of the cemetery. Liv rubbed Tess's lower back as she handed her the phone. There, just along her shoulder blades, were two handprints. They were black and sharp, so deep that you could partially see through to Tess's quickly burning skin. Like something from hell itself had pushed her down the hill. It's very dangerous to lose your nerve in the middle of the counting ritual in 100-step cemetery. If you make your count going upward and are too disturbed by what you see to finish the process, you face an even worse fate. Legends say that those who try to walk down the hill rather than taking the stairs are attacked by an unseen force, pushed down the hill so hard that two handprints are burned into their back. Coming up, the cemetery offers its worst case scenario. Now back to the story. Indiana State University's Folklore Archives offer over 75 local accounts surrounding the legends of 100-step cemetery, from the rumors of monstrous witches, sightings of the devil, and a ghostly groundskeeper foretelling your doom. The most disturbing are the stories with concrete consequences, teenagers running into the street out of fright, tripping and falling over graves, or giving each other panic attacks through practical jokes. A few tales from the archives combine the grounded with the strange. None are more eerily compelling than the story of Katrina Craig from 1978. Graveyards weren't really Cooper's thing. He respected the dead and would somberly attend funerals, but he felt no need to interact with them outside of that. His best friend Noah felt differently. He was a lover of Poe, the Adams Family, and My Chemical Romance. A real student of the macabre. So he wanted nothing more for his birthday than to have a little picnic with the deceased. It was a little weird, but if he wanted to be Mary Shelley on his special day, 
who was Cooper to rain on his black parade. Cooper packed snacks and some beer. They stopped by a fast food place to collect the main courses. Noah's excitement crackled in the air between them. He couldn't stop talking about some witch and her stolen baby. Noah's set of house keys jangled wildly in his pocket while Cooper tried to focus on driving. It was cute. Not Cooper's interest at all, but he liked seeing Noah this excited. Even if it was excitement at the prospect of sitting next to a bunch of rotting corpses and having a late night snack. Cooper pulled the car to a stop next to the stone steps. He loaded up his arms with bags of food and stuck a flashlight in his mouth to light his way up. Even though he was in front, he could hear Noah excitedly whispering numbers as they climbed. He was such a dork. Cooper could almost feel Noah's disappointment as they reached the top and no harbinger of death stood to greet them. He looked back to check that his friend was okay. Noah shook off the disappointment and charged across the hill to the oldest grave he could see. It was Cooper's turn to follow dutifully behind. The flashlight bobbed in his mouth precariously. He was regretting his gallant choice to carry the majority of the picnic items up. His arms were struggling with the weight of several grocery bags and a few greasy bags of fast food. Noah yelled that he'd found the perfect vantage point. It was too dark for Cooper to make up the other boy, so he moved his face around to allow the flashlight beam to do the work for him. Noah sat with his back against a tombstone, a giant smile across his face. Cooper wanted to laugh or take a picture, but he couldn't do either with his hands full and a flashlight in his mouth. He kept the light on Noah as he made his way over. As soon as the bags were on the ground, Cooper stretched his arms wide. It felt good to lose the weight. Noah had been right. It was an oddly calming view. The trees danced softly in the night breeze, and the ambient stirring of the forest at night was soothing. He wanted to avoid sitting on a grave, but it was hard to see the oldest ones in the grass. Cooper said a quick sorry in his head to whoever was buried six feet beneath him as he sat down with his legs crossed and started to unpack the food. They ate in silence for several minutes while Noah took in their surroundings. His keys were still jiggling in his pocket, his limbs struggling to contain his excitement. When Cooper was mostly full, he asked Noah what he was looking around for. Noah shoved a handful of fries in his mouth before mentioning the witch again. She'd been cast out of town and lived amongst the tombstones. As much as she despised the townspeople, she couldn't bear to be away from her baby boy. Cooper laughed. Noah glared. Cooper held up his hands in apology. It just sounded like one of those made-up stories on a ghost tour. He was pretty sure he'd heard of that in a found-footage horror movie his parents liked. A bird cawed loudly behind them, cutting off the rest of Cooper's argument. Noah's legs stilled. He told Cooper that he shouldn't have laughed. Cooper tried to remind him that real life wasn't nearly as interesting as he wanted it to be. But before he could speak, he was interrupted again. Underneath the jingling of the keys was a different rhythmic sound. Thump, thump, thump. Noah's legs weren't moving anymore. Cooper checked one more time. His friend was still as a statue. And yet, 
he still heard the soft clang of metal on metal and wood against wood. The ground started to shake beneath him. It was slight, but he could feel the earth shifting in time with the noises. Something wanted to get out. Cooper asked Noah if this was some kind of practical joke. Noah denied it and asked Cooper for the flashlight. Cooper handed it over, trying not to focus on the ground under him. Noah scooted back and shined the light on the gravestone. The name had faded away with time, but the birth date was there. Unreadable, but there. It was followed by a dash, then nothingness. No one had ever added a death date. Cooper tried to lean forward to take a better look, but he lost his balance. His back hit the dirt. He felt a strange trembling beneath him. The ground he was sitting on had been sinking. An inch of dirt surrounded him on all sides. It wasn't much, yet. The thumping crescendoed, echoing in his ears. A hand reached out and Cooper took it, clinging to Noah like his life depended on it. Noah pulled Cooper up and Cooper scrambled to leave the now rectangular impression in the ground. Cooper tugged at Noah to leave the sight behind, but the birthday boy wouldn't move. Instead, he leaned over trying to get a better look at what was happening. He couldn't even see where all the dirt was going. Large insects, worms, caterpillars, and cockroaches spewed out of the deepening hole. Still, the ground receded. The steady thump now echoed around the hill like a heavy bass drum. There was nothing in the world but unceasing rhythm and the widening grave. Curved, polished wood broke through the dirt with explosive force. Cooper didn't want to look. He fixed his gaze on Noah instead. Noah's hands were clasped together. Those damn keys were jangling again. He leaned farther over the abyss. Cooper wanted to pull him back, but he couldn't move. With a rusty squeak, the coffin lid blew open. Confusion flooded Noah's face. Cooper asked what happened. Noah peered into the coffin. A final thump from within the casket made him jump. He landed on his heels, teetering over the fresh chasm at their feet. Cooper reached out for Noah, but he was already falling. He landed in the coffin with a heavy thud. Cooper yelped and ran forward, but the lid slammed shut. The coffin was already being reclaimed by the ground. Cooper stood horrified as the box seemed to burrow itself deeper into the soil. Finally finding his nerve, he dived in, fighting the momentum of the dirt until he found the coffin lid again. He yanked it open, but no one was there. The sinking abruptly stopped. All Cooper could hear was the wind. He called Noah's name, digging around the coffin, but no one was there. He paced on top of the wooden box as he called 911. They didn't believe him. Finally, he glanced up at the gravestone. It was now perfectly legible, as if it had been engraved that very day. The death date was the same as the birth date, and the name was the same as his friends. The Indiana State University Folklore Archives hold a typewritten account of the counting legend of the 100 Step Cemetery 
as told by a woman named Katrina Craig in 1978. Her story is notable for a few reasons. The first, it's disagreement with the most prominent legends surrounding the stairs. Rather than seeing a vision of the event leading to your death, Katrina suggested that if you take the stairs back down, you'll be met with a fresh open grave at the bottom of the hill, with a stone at the front of it, with a birth date and no death date. She doesn't indicate what will happen if you decide to walk down the grassy hill instead. Perhaps the burning handprints are less frightening than the open maw of fresh soil and hungry worms. 100 Step Cemetery hasn't had 100 steps in it for a very long time. They've been eaten away by grass, erosion, and construction at the bottom of the hill. The locals recorded in the Indiana State Folklore Archive offer counts from 60 to 88, and nearly all of them agree that the graveyard's title has become a bit of a misnomer. Moss and grass eat away at the Civil War era stone, and a new set of no-slip concrete steps have been dug into the hill for a safer climb. This is more than necessary, as the cemetery remains a popular site for ghost hunters and thrill-seekers to this day. It might seem hard to believe that the rumors of prophetic visions can be true, when so many stop by the cemetery for investigations, vandalism, and teenage drinking. One would think the groundskeeper would object to the constant disturbances in his domain. And yet, an eerie pattern shows up in the folklore archive the closer you look. Many have stories of how the legend works, but almost none of them have actually dared to climb the stairs and count. Thanks again for tuning into Haunted Places. We'll be back on Thursday with a new episode. And don't forget to come back on Tuesday for our Urban Legend series, available only on Spotify. You can find more episodes of Haunted Places and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite podcast originals, like Haunted Places for free, from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Haunted Places on Spotify, just open the app, tap Browse, and type Haunted Places in the search bar. I'll see you next time. Haunted Places was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Russell Nash. With production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Aaron Larson. This episode of Haunted Places was written by Lil D. Ritter and Jennifer Rache. With writing assistance by Greg Castro. I'm Greg Polson.